When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How is Pat doing uh, from Fort Myers on Sports Talk? Is he's he, is uh, he belligerent or what's losing his mind. Increasingly difficult to work with every day. And uh, mad that Derek Wetmore keeps salad items in the fridge down in shared condo space. There's all sorts of little nuances about Royce. Myron Medcalf in for Judd today. Let's fire it up. I think we all feel the same way about him. He was a really unique guy and not only a great coach, but a great person. You know, and he had the ability to make everyone feel like they were his best friend. And so, uh, and it's great for his family too. So, um, and you know, we're very fortunate uh, to have uh, Ryan here and Rachel working with us. And of course, Debbie as well as, uh, you know, she's at all the games. So um, we're, you know, we're obviously very pleased that we're going to be able to honor him in a way that I think will be significant. A great friend, Flip, came and uh, brought an opportunity to me to come back and, you know, where my, where my origins were and where I had roots and where I was comfortable. Um, all in all, the plan of an exit plan. And um, I believed it and I, I accepted it and I went back to many. And without getting all deep into it, but when he left, so, so did his dream. Yeah. in his vision, and um, it's just sad to see that everybody in that organization didn't see the same vision, mm-hmm. and uh, we parted ways. Uh, Myron Medcalf, welcome to the TCL Broadcast Studios. You want to rant about hockey off the start like Judd normally would, or are you good? Are you okay? <laughs> I, I think I'm okay. I'll okay. leave that to Judd. <laughs> so tonight at Target Center, the Flip Saunders tribute and the Flip Saunders memorial, and I mean, you and I were just talking about this before we turned the microphones on. I think it's awesome. I think anything to honor Flip Saunders is uh, is absolutely should be green lit. Something feels a little off to me about tonight, not because they're honoring Flip, who's the most. I think it, he would be the face of this franchise 30 years, but the second face would be Kevin Garnett. And something feels a little off about KG, as of right now, not scheduled to be there. Um, I mean, KG and Flip... if. If you're putting a Mount Rushmore of hmm. Wolves figureheads, there's only two. Yeah. Like you're missing the next. It's it's only those two. And Flip was a father figure. He was a mentor. Uh, KG as a player put this franchise on the map. And I and I it, it, I think it bothers me that Glenn Taylor and Kevin Garnett haven't been able to figure it out in the last two or three years since Flip's passing. Yeah, I think it's wrong that KG won't be there tonight, considering the role that Flip Saunders has played in his life and his career. But, like, to me, I understand the Glenn Taylor element. They do have to patch things up, you would hope. But how many players really worry about ownership to that degree? I mean, LeBron doesn't care about ownership in Cleveland. These guys don't have to worry about that. So why not focus on flipping the memorial and the tribute 
I just think KG needs to get over himself. Yeah, like, I think that's been a big part of his career. Well, LeBron hated ownership and left, and then like even though he still hated ownership, came back came and back. won a championship. <laughs> it might win chance. another one this year now that they made that trade. And I and I I blame both. Yeah. So I, I don't know like what percentage both, but I I blame Glenn Taylor because he has allowed the most important player relationship in franchise history to dissipate. And I'm not saying KG's the easiest guy to work with or the easiest guy to get along with. Um, or that his personality is easy to mesh with, but I think if you're if you're just looking at Glenn Taylor, be the adult, figure it out, find a way to make that relationship work, even if it means you have to admit that you were wrong on things that you know that you weren't wrong on. On the KG side, here's what gets me: he just showed up over the weekend. He spent the entire game, the Celtics-Cavs yeah. game, watching LeBron stick it down the Celtics' throat yeah. in the front row, and then watch the Paul Pierce ceremony after that game was over. Did they make him king or something like that? Did they name him? KG? Eternal, Eternal King, Paul Pierce. Oh, Paul Pierce yeah, they did, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, KG, uh, his crown is just the hood on the yeah, hooded sweatshirt yeah. that mysteriously stays on his head all the time. Uh, but it's not like his schedule is packed. He's doing TV yeah. a couple days a week. He's got some business stuff, but he can travel at will. So it, it ain't like he's still an active player and, oh, man, we got a game on the road tonight. If you can show up for Paul Pierce's jersey retirement ceremony and, and sit there for several hours, you know, you're too busy to stop by Target Center, patch up a relationship. It rubs me the wrong way. Well, his... Life after basketball has been defined by turmoil in terms of relationships. A bunch of those Celtics went after Ray Allen. They've been talking about him and how, you know, he wasn't a part of that tribute with Paul Pierce. Now you have the Glenn Taylor Timberwolves thing. To me, if you're my guy, right, and and you have an event and you want me to be there, I don't care if I've got beef with somebody else who might be there. Yes. I'm there for you. And I think that's the problem with the whole Flip Saunders thing. Everybody needs to get over themselves when it comes to flip. But I think with KG, I think he's still trying to figure out who he is after basketball. He's doing a little bit of TV stuff. I don't think he's a coach. You know, I don't think that style plays well in today's NBA. I don't think he's an executive, a guy, front office guy. So I think Not if you hold grudges to that degree. 100%. And I think part of this is he's trying to figure out who he is. This, to me, looks worse on KG, in my opinion, than Glenn Taylor. Show up. Honor the guy who helped you at the start of your career and you claim was a father figure. Forget everybody else. Show up for Flip. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point that you just made, too. If This is apples to oranges, but I'm, I'm sure we've all been in a position in our lives where you have a falling out or whatever. Like, you're, uh, you're not friends with the same group that you were friends with in high school or college. You get invited to a wedding and there's a couple maybe awkward relationships. But you know what? You show up and you deal with it because of the groom yep. or the bride, the person that has been by your side for a long time. You show up and you deal with all the, the uncomfortable social situations. Like, that's how I view it. You know what, KG? You don't have to talk to Glenn Taylor. Bingo! You don't have to talk to Glenn Taylor. Yep. You don't have to talk to anybody. That's you can the sit team. there. Maybe You don't even have to get on the microphone. I, I just feel like for him to not show up because of a bad relationship or a souring relationship with Glenn Taylor, and then for Glenn Taylor, quite frankly, to not be able socially or from a business standpoint to patch that relationship... It drives me nuts. And it's kind of a microcosm for why the Wolves have been so bleeped up for, for well, Glenn Taylor going back to the mid-90s for 20-plus years. It also shows the power of Flip Saunders and who he was as the guy that everybody liked. Put it all together, too. Yeah. Put it all together. Like, he was the guy at the center of it. And, and I think when he left, that caused a, a rift in the soul of this franchise, just given who he was. I think part of this may be tied to KG still trying to get over that loss, too. I mean, here's a guy who probably wanted to have some sort of active role immediately after Flip dies. That doesn't happen. And that just probably compounds the compounds the grief he was already, de- already dealing with. But today, tonight, would be an opportunity maybe to heal some old wounds 
he should be there. Yeah. The other thing I really that stands out about Flip Saunders, among a million things, there's not a whole lot to hang your hat on in this franchise's <laughs> history. And for my money, well, KG is the greatest player in franchise history, hands down, and, my, yeah. and it's probably one of the top 15 to 20 greatest players of all time. Definitely. You could maybe debate top 10 or 12. And Carl Anthony Towns is on that path. Yep. And I think it's so cool, even though Flip Saunders went away for about a decade, that he is the link between those generations and between those two, not only great big men, but revolutionary big men. I mean, Car- so Kevin Garnett was revolutionary as a passer, as a seven-footer, yeah. as an outside shooter in a lot of ways. And Carl Anthony Towns now, who Flip Saunders handpicked as the number one overall pick, is one of the greatest big men three-point shooter that the league has ever seen, and he can play inside. He's this revolutionary talent, and Flip is the link between those two guys. Flip is definitely the link, and I don't know that you have Carl Anthony Towns without KG. KG was the first guy to say, hey, look, yeah, I'm a big man, but I can do things that guards do. So I think that's a big part of it as well. I think Flip and KG really created something new in the NBA. It's common now to see a 6'11 guy hitting those shots, dribbling the ball. wasn't as common with KG, but I think that makes it even more important for him to say, look, this is about the guy who meant so much to me in my life. It ain't about Glenn Taylor. Honor him for who he is and who he was. That's what matters. Get over all the nonsense. Come on. It's a big event. You should be there. You think of Minnesota basketball. You think of people like him. You think of a Bill Musselman, a, a McHale, guys like that that are, you know, a Kevin Garnett certainly, and we're hopeful that at some point uh, we could recognize him in a way that he should be recognized as well. Ding, ding. 14 made threes tonight, oh make it 15. Good. The miscommunication allows the Rockets to get a second chance. Houston has made 20 or more threes in a game six times this season, and they are on track to get to that number again tonight. Harden. Unreal. Harden adds one more three just for good measure. The, the Mute for three, and why not? Yeah, Let's why just not? make it 20. So, so, Myron, I was at Target Center the other night for the for the Rockets and Wolves, and that was, hey, it was two hours of fun, and then yeah. the Rockets hit the gas pedal with like five minutes to go. And I had this thought thinking back to that game. I mean, the Wolves are going to make the playoffs, and we should be happy that it's good. And they might even ho- you know have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. 15 years of dormancy, basically. So we're... Hey, if they get beat in the first round, it's still an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But the gap between them and the Rockets the other night, it, it kind of reminds me the overwhelming, suffocating nature of, and the Warriors are in this category too. It's like those Yankees offenses over the yeah. years, or uh, you know, I, I like the the greatest show on turf Rams, where you can't even take a breath. Yeah. Like you have one bad defensive rotation, and Ryan Anderson sticks it down your throat. <laughs> the bench hits 11 threes the other night for the Rockets, so. Kind of a little bit of a lesson for the Wolves the other night in the Western Conference. Yeah, they're improving, but they're not there yet. And to me, the Houston Rockets are the first team that make you think, are the Golden State Warriors completely safe? A lot of people think that LeBron James, they added these players with the big trade in Cleveland. They were going after Golden State. To me, they were trying to stop Houston. They look more like Houston to me than they do like than Golden State. So I think the Houston Rockets are an intriguing team, and the way they shoot threes is like nothing Maybe we've ever seen in yeah. basketball. Like it's, I mean, it's math, right? I mean, yeah. they they outscored the Wolves from the three point line. I want to say it was like forty eight points from yeah. the three point line, where you can summon your bench players, yeah. Ryan Anderson and uh, Gerald three. Green, and they hit eleven threes. You hit six <laughs> the entire game with your entire roster. Uh, so I guess the question is, if you're not going to match a team like that in the arms race, can you make up enough differences rebounding or you know paint points? defensive possessions, but you're not going to hold a team like that to 105 points anymore. If you do, that's an incredible accomplishment. And forget about under 100 points. 
I mean, can you get to 120 and go back and forth in the second half when they're launching threes and find some other way if you don't have those guns? Well, I think the best way for a team like Minnesota to do it is defensively. Like a lot of people don't realize, like Golden State was one of the top defensive teams, I believe, number one in defensive efficiency last season. So they had this great offense, but they were great defensively as well. Your best chance in Minnesota is to continue to improve defensively, and a lot of that has to do with the guy you just mentioned, Carl Anthony Towns. If that guy becomes a shot blocking guy, a guy who can guard multiple positions, become a lockdown defender, that would change everything for this Minnesota Timberwolves yeah, team. Yeah, he's so we were bringing this up yesterday. So I love effective field goal percentage because. Because, I mean, I've been in these arguments the whole week about Andrew Wiggins and my Twitter timeline. And, yeah. you know, and the and the one argument that people throw back at me is, well, he he look how many points he averages. As a young player, he averages this many, this many points. But when you have a timed game and you have a limited number of shots, maximizing your shots is important. Yeah. You can't just tell me that a guy scores X amount of points. Well, how many shots? I mean, that's why Allen Iverson wasn't as valuable offensively as... Uh, a Michael Jordan, yeah, because I mean, hey, he, sc- he scored thirty, but it took him, you know, forty shots to get there. Sometimes, with Carl Anthony Towns, his effective field goal percentage this year is better than LeBron James. It's crazy. I mean, he's when he touches the ball, he's one of the most efficient offensive players in the NBA. It's so fun to watch, and I mean, he's he's becoming. Even though he's not the most featured player on the team always, because Jimmy Butler handles the ball and Jamal Crawford gets in and Andrew Wiggins, he's becoming one of the top five or six players in the NBA before our eyes midseason here. What he does offensively, I mean, few if any players I think can match. And I saw him in college at Kentucky a bunch of games. I think I went to 12 games when he was in college. Man. And the dude just kept growing and growing. And on on those Kentucky teams, you know, everybody was getting the ball. But he would do things where you're like, man, when that guy gets loose, he's going to be a star the way he is right now. Defensively, if he continues to improve, though, can you imagine him? playing better on the defensive end. You might have the best player in the NBA not named LeBron or Anthony Davis. Yeah. He's going to that category, I think, in the next couple of years. Yeah, and he, you know, and, and there were times early in the season where he would Olay. I mean, he just he wasn't he wasn't rotating or he wasn't, you know, he just wasn't contesting shots. So no. he's he's graduated from just being like clueless and lost yeah. in the paint. Yeah. And but there's another level. So when you watched him at Kentucky, he wasn't unleashing his full arsenal, right? Because he was playing 20 minutes. He wasn't playing 38 minutes like some of these other guys because they're so loaded at Kentucky. I mean, did you see this full arsenal when he was in college? Because I don't think he unleashed it all. I saw, you saw some of it. I remember a Louisville game where, you know, it's, it's a tight game, and he's only playing, I think, 15, 16 minutes or something like that. He intercepts a pass, gets a big steal, goes down the court, dribbling with his right, and, like, in midair, he switches to his left, and everybody in the building was like, wait, wait, did he just do that at 6'10", 6'11"? Right, right? Like, <laughs> So that was one of those moments where it was like, listen, man, I'm not doing it yet, but if I want to, I can. It's there. Yeah. What I loved about him, man, all the games I went to in college was he was always so serious about winning. Like, that dude was so hard on himself, and he was so committed to perfection. And you can see that work ethic translating to what he's doing yeah. now, man. He's legit. I love that in quarterbacks. I love that in in star NBA players. I mean, I love it for, you can pick any sport, but particularly star quarterbacks. And because one player can be so influential mm-hmm. in the NBA. I love it when guys like Towns, when, I mean, Case Keenum showed this too with the Vikings. And it's why it makes him kind of intriguing when you just hate losing. Or when, when when the chips are on the table and there's passion. And it's also what sort of drives me nuts about Wiggins. That he just doesn't yeah. really have that that part of his personality. But Towns does, and Jimmy Butler does, and it's so refreshing to watch. You're not going to change Andrew Wiggins, though. You know, again, another guy I saw in college 
they wouldn't bring him out for interviews sometimes at Kansas just because he just didn't give you anything. So I think there are people maybe waiting for Wiggins to get a new personality. That's never going to happen. What you hope is that he becomes a more efficient player because the gifts, the building blocks of that dude, that's what you want in any player. Yeah. It's just a matter of putting that together with the game and the efficiency. And he's young enough for that to come. There's so many players who got better over the next three, four, five years of their career. I think Wiggins can still get there, but he has all the tools, needs a little more vigor, but I'm not sure he'll ever play that in-your-face style that people want. Yeah, he's probably never going to be the number one guy on a championship team at this point. I think that ship has sailed, but but there's st- I'll admit this. As, as critical as I've been, there's still potential for him to be, for sure, the third and maybe the second guy if he starts filling in some of the other areas and he starts maximizing his his shot attempts. There yeah. are many younger du- young dudes, though, you'd want over him. I mean, there are a lot of young guys in that sort of top four, five, six, you know, the Giannis, the Carl Anthony Towns, A.D., In that next tier, I think Wiggins is still there as a guy where you're like, he ain't there yet, but he'll continue to grow. He's young enough to make a move. I just think he's being compared to a couple of really, really good players. When you're playing next to Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns, everything you do, every mistake you make looks even worse, I think, because people put him in that category. He ain't in that Carl Towns, Jimmy Butler category. Those are top 15 players. As a guy who's growing at that age, I think Andrew Wiggins is growing, and I think he needs to be more efficient. But I think he can get there. Yeah, if the Timberwolves were like the the movie credits at the beginning, it would be starring Jimmy yes. Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, <laughs> yes. and then in the list of you know complimentary, the fine you know, print. The, yep, featuring yeah, Andrew yeah. Wiggins <laughs> and uh, and Jeff Teague, Myron Medcalf from ESPN.com. You can find him on ESPN TV, radio, all all of the platforms. Is hanging out with us until one o'clock. We'll definitely get his thoughts on the go for basketball program, the new facilities. There's going to be a press conference. Uh, Ryan Pasiga. The attorney for Reggie Lynch is going to hold a press conference at 11 o'clock this morning. We're not going to take it live, but we'll react to it. There's some speculation that Reggie Lynch is going to drop his appeals process a couple hours before the hearing starts. So uh, we'll get to that later on in the show. Matthew Collar for some more Viking speculation in the noon hour. And um, yeah, we're hanging out until one o'clock here in the TCL broadcast studios. It's Mackie and Judd. Myron in for Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. I want you to do it. The good Lord wants you to do it. You really think so? I know so. On 1500 ESPN. It doesn't seem to matter uh, to our government uh, that children are being shot to death uh, day after day in schools. It doesn't matter that people are being shot um, at a concert, at a movie theater. It's not enough, apparently, to move uh, our leadership, our government, the people who are running this country, uh, to actually do anything. That's demoralizing. That was Steve Kerr yesterday. I think Steve Kerr and, and Greg Popovich have pulled no punches in political commentary, and I'm sure they, you know, a lot of people disagree with their thoughts on uh, various items. And so Myron Medcalf is hanging out with us in for Judd today. And Judd and I always say this, and it's happening more frequently, where a big national story will pop up and either intersect with sports or it's so big that, you know, you're, we're all human beings here and we all went through the same news cycle yesterday. So I, I, I think before we dive into this for just a couple minutes, people tune into this show. We know our place here. People tune in for wacky yeah. sports discussion and we, you tune into us to brighten your day as, as an audience and you're not looking for four hours of political commentary and we're not going to do that. Um, that being said, Two things kind of stand out to me in the aftermath of yesterday's mass shooting. 
I ha- number one is just how normal these conversations about shootings have become. I mean, I had this moment. I'm in yeah. my car yesterday, and I'm on the phone with my girlfriend, and we're we're, we're going to meet at uh, we're going to meet some family for dinner, and we're so we're, we're in the middle of this ten minute conversation about she's telling a story from her day, and then I tell a story from my day about something. And hey, Saturday we got this charity event uh, for LLS, and uh, here's our here's our time to go to that and. It was like this 10-minute conversation, and then all of a sudden, one of us, I can't remember if it was me or her, said, oh, did you hear about that mass shooting today? Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. God, how crazy is that? Yeah. All right, well, oh, we'll Hello. see you later. It's like, wow, 20 years ago, Columbine, or you know, go, go back in time before the last few years when it's just become more and more frequent or more and more talked about, you would have stopped everything, and you'd call people to talk about it. Now it's like... It's the fourth thing you think of sometimes in your conversations if you're far enough removed geographically. That was one of the most amazing things that stood out. And maybe I'm just guilty of being desensitized myself, but I really think it's everybody, Myron. Yeah, I think as a society we're desensitized because we've seen it so often. Um, I hate that. And I was the same way. I mean, I heard about it and I'm like, my thought was, how many? And I felt horrible for thinking like that. But I was like, how many? Because is it two? Oh, two's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah, Is it... um, but I also knew what was coming, and that was the immediate social media reaction. People going to, are we? Do we have too many guns? Do we have the right laws? A lot of people say things about gun control to get Facebook likes. In my opinion, it's not really about solution. Some people want a problem, so they have something to react to. They yeah. don't really want to solve it. Drop the mic as opposed to having meaningful exactly. conversation. Exactly. And yeah. I think my thought after I got through all the clutter was. What about these kids? Uh, my 15-year-old cousin got killed in a drive-by shooting when I was a kid. And I remember going to that funeral. And I remember what that was like to see a young person who wasn't even old enough to drive a car yet in a casket due to gun violence. So when I think about 17 of those young people and 17 funerals and those kids trying to get over that hurdle, that should be the concern at some point. Like it's at some point we got to get beyond the we're not going to solve this. Today, we're not going to solve it tomorrow. Let's work towards solutions. What about those kids? Well, I, yeah, I want to, yes, yeah, so I, I agree with what you just said, too. It's, I think sometimes we, maybe not sometimes, it feels like all the time, we categorize the aftermath of these mass shootings as politics, when in reality, we're talking about humanity and solutions. Let's take the word politics out of it, because that's such a divisive word right now. Yeah. It's, it's my side versus your side. I think... I'm not being controversial in saying that if we pulled 300 million Americans, most of them, if not all of them, would say we don't want children to die, right? We don't want want mass slaughterings. And so we obviously debate on a regular basis how to fix that problem, but we're so bad in this country right now at sitting down, whether it's on Facebook, like you said, or in person, face-to-face, and having meaningful solution-based conversations. We've lost the ability, if we ever had it to begin with, to have meaningful solution-based conversations. And even though it's a very emotional time in the aftermath of events like this, take as much emotion out of it as you can and say, okay, do we all agree that whether you think the solution is over here or whether you think the solution is over here, that something should be done, let's have meaningful conversations. Like we have no ability to do that right now. And I'm with like Facebook, whether I agree with the post or disagree with the post, it's all about mic drops. It's all about... I'm going to stick a flag in the ground, yeah. and it's uh, it's never an open forum no. anymore in 2018. Well, you're not going to solve anything on social media. You, it, that never happens in events like this, and that was the first thing that people did. I'm with you. 
Can we take the emotion out of it and, and, and reach for solutions? I hope so. But both sides are guilty of not taking the emotion out of it and not working towards solutions. Because, again, people want to get retweeted for having the best take on gun control. I'm not sure if everybody who has that take wants to really fight for what it would take to make change some of these rules and, and put us in a better position. It's just so much emotion, so much controversy. But here's my thing. You want to get the emotion out of it? Remember what it was like to be in high school and to be a kid with you and your buddies hanging out, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about yeah. the weekend. You just woke up this morning with 17 of your friends gone. That should be the number one priority. How do we help those kids get over this hurdle? And then we'll get to everything else if we can. But somebody's got to care about those 17 people who lost their lives yesterday. When did you graduate high school? Uh, 2001. And I, I'm 03. Did you, did you think... Like how often when you were sitting in a high school class, even and that's not that long ago, right? No. I mean, that's that's you know that's less than two decades yeah. ago. How often did you sit there in four years of high school or elementary school thinking, man, somebody might walk in here? I better be on because I never thought about that. No. And I would assume if you're in high school right now, you're always thinking about it, or at least on a much more regular basis. It'd be nonstop. I mean, guys would fight, but it was just a fight with fists. You know, yeah. you'd be like, oh man. Tony and Larry about to right. go down. You weren't like somebody had a gun. Larry's got a right yeah, hook. Yeah. yeah, you're like Larry been lifting weights. You yeah. better watch out. But but now you, I imagine kids today are thinking that all the time, and, that, and that's scary, man. That's a that's a scary feeling, I would think. Yeah. So you know, just like you guys listening, you know, Myron and I, we we've been following the news, and we feel terrible about it too. And we're not gonna, we're not. I mean, we're not saying we have answers, but I think. All we can say is let's just try to have more meaningful solution-based conversations and get back to some sports talk here to, to take your mind off of it. And uh, later on, we'll open up phone lines on uh, you know Vikings-related things, go for basketball, Flip Saunders tribute tonight. So uh, we're, we, coming up next, we're going to talk to Chip Scoggins and then Derek Wetmore in Fort Myers at around 10-15. But later on, keep the phone line written down, 651-646-8255. Chip is still awake. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning, I think. <laughs> In, uh, in South Korea. He had a couple more hours to, to do some writing, but he's going to join us when we come back to talk about all things Olympics. And then we'll do some Minnesota sports prop bets at the top of the hour. Mackie and Judd with Myron in for Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Bottom line is these two guys really like each other. Mackie and Judd. They formed a special brotherhood. They've said, you know what? We can do this better together than apart. On 1500 ESPN. Curling! Skeleton, the Nordic Combined. It's time to break down sports we see once every four years. It's Winter Olympic Talk with Mackie and Judd. And Myron Medcalf in for Judd today. Uh, Judd's Winter Olympics include drinking as many beers at Pippin's in downtown Chicago as possible, gentlemen. Just shotgunning uh, shotgunning full tall boys of PBR. What's up, Chip? What time is it there? Like 1230? 130? It's, it's uh, Judd's time. That's what it is. You'd be yes. surprised at how many beers I've had with Pippin's, uh, at Pippin's with Judd. He drags me there every time we were on the beat. Yes, that's, uh, that's his favorite place. So are you going to do a proper rip job in the Star Tribune on Jesse Diggins for letting her state and country down, only finishing fifth place in the 10K freestyle? Yeah, I, I didn't cover her race today. Uh, Rachel Blau, my colleague, was there. I was at uh, women's hockey. Uh, but, yeah, this, this was her best event. Um, 10K was her best event. I covered Jesse on... I can't even remember what day it was, but it was her second race um, in the Classic Sprint, which is probably her weakest event, and she took six in that. She was pretty happy just to get to the finals. But I honestly thought this would be the day that she would uh, 
that she would get on the medal stand. But it just, it just tells you how hard it is for the Americans to to crack the you know the upper echelon. I mean, fifth is not bad, but um, you got to remember that no American woman has ever won a medal in cross country, yeah. and it just tells you how good the other countries are. But she has a couple more cracks. I, I'm going to cover her on what's today Thursday. Yeah, Saturday. On Saturday, uh, she has a relay event that they they feel pretty good about and think they can medal there, but we'll see. Chip, I'm worried about you, man. I don't think you've slept since I last saw you at the Super Bowl. Is that <laughs> <I know>. true? <laughs> uh, barely. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, the, the Olympics are awesome to cover, but they are incredibly challenging and exhausting, and it's just um, – I was just telling Dave on hold, you pretty much get going at 8, and then I'd say for the last week – 8 a.m. the last week I've been finishing up between 1 and 2 in the morning. And uh, it's just, you know, if you're covering a couple events a day and they happen late at night and then with this 15-hour time change, it's really made it uh, kind of challenging. In a weird thing about this, Myron, from your old newspaper days, I covered a hockey game last night. And I covered a hockey game this afternoon that started at noon. And both of them are going in the same paper. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be mind blowing for for a newspaper guy that's you know that's crazy the deadline. But it's it's been challenging. Yeah, but it's, but it's a lot of fun. So, assuming you covered the uh, was it the U.S. Canada women's game last yeah. night or last no, night no, for last us night was the men against Slovenia where they blew a two goal lead, uh, and then this morning was the U.S. Canada women. Where so for US, for uh, us it was last night for you it was this morning. It's all very confusing. Correct. Uh, that yeah. was a, so. The U.S. hasn't won the gold medal in women's hockey since 1998. It's been it's been Canada, I believe, all the way through. But the, yeah, is it fair years. to say they outplayed Canada? They just like they outshot Canada twice as many shots and oh, yeah. uh, and couldn't get the puck in. But they probably feel pretty good if they can get a rematch later on in the finals, right? Or the semis? Yeah. What? No, they did. They feel they they. Um, I don't want to say they dominated them, but they they had a ton of chances uh, early on. They had a breakaway first period where. Uh, no one's around, and, and uh, uh, Hillary Knight gets um, stopped in the second period. They actually get a penalty shot because uh, they had a scrum there in the in the crease, and one of the uh, Canadian players had covered the puck with their hand, and uh, they missed that. And so that I, I think they'll be sick when they go back and look at all the scoring chances they had. Um, well, they may feel good about it because they're you know they're putting themselves in position, but um, they definitely the outcome could have been different if they could have finished some of those. And um, based on today, you hate to say it's because they lost, but they look like the stronger team. But until they can beat Canada, uh, they're still looking up. And Canada's now won 23 straight Olympic games. That goes all the way back to the final of the the 98 gold medal game when they lost to the U.S. Chip, without the pros playing in this Olympics, what's the mood around men's hockey? It's just not the same, Aaron. Now, now, Olympic hockey's still fun, and it's competitive and intense and so if you go there you know the level of play is clearly not what it was but it's still an enjoyable thing to watch it's still um you know highly competitive and intense but you don't take Sidney crosby off the ice and think this is the same <laughs> no nobody's going to be fooled by that and so um it, it's just it's just not the same product but um it, you can still have some drama and some compelling stories uh and that type of thing but i, I just Honestly, I don't know how good this team, uh, team USA is. They're up two last night, and they played really good for the first two periods. And then Slovenia, which is you know not a great team, really kind of put a hard charge at them. And, and 
the U.S. just folded. I mean, they they had no like pushback. They were on their heels and they just got rattled and uh, just just fell apart. So I, I don't know. I have them tomorrow morning against Slovakia, um, which another game that's going to be on deadline. But um, we'll see if they can bounce back. But but they did some nice things in that first game. But that third period was really alarming, just how they reacted. Uh, who's the the wild prospect? Is it Greenway? Yeah, he's the real deal, Phil. He he is the real deal. I did uh, had an interview with him uh, a few days ago, and he is a big kid. I mean, he's six six. Um, Two twenty-seven. He said he's six nine with the skates on. Jeez. He really skates well. You know, Tony Granado put him on his on his top line at center. So that tells you what he thinks about him. He's a junior at Boston University. He actually turns uh, twenty-one tomorrow on Friday. Um, and so, he, but he skates a lot better than I thought he would. But he gets to the net. Um, he, he created a lot. So he, he hasn't tipped his hand on what his you know, his plans are after the Olympics and after this year, but I, I got to imagine he's going to turn pro because uh, this will help him. I mean, this experience, but he, he is a good looking prospect. That's for sure. Sean White wins the gold medal and then uh, makes some interesting comments about the sexual harassment stuff against him. what do you think of how he tried to handle that uh, after winning the gold? Yeah, I wasn't there, um, but it is probably, I'm guessing they probably would want to do over on that one. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they didn't think it was going to come up, or, or what, but uh, I think, what do you call it, rumors or yeah. innuendo or something like that. That uh, And and then I know some of the uh, women uh, reporters that were there were upset because they didn't get their – they didn't get called on for questions even though they had their hands raised. Um, I know Christine Brennan, I think, did a column on that. But um, it clearly probably could have handled it better, and I don't know if it just caught them off guard. But um, that's where you got to be careful when you're talking about you know, separating a great athlete from saying he's a great person or whatever. We don't know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know. I, you know, can say for sure what happened between him and the, and the woman in his band. And so, um, it, you know, it's, it's just hard to try to guess and, and pick sides on that. But um, in terms of that question in that in that press conference, I'm sure he probably could handle a lot better. That, that, that's what was sort of off-putting to me, that, okay, you're one of, if not the highest-profile U.S. athletes going on this international stage. You know that this is a public thing, even though it was a couple years ago, and you're probably going to get asked about it at least 100 times, at least expect it. Maybe have a better reaction or be less surprised by the follow-up questions. It was just a, yeah, it was a bizarre way to handle it by Sean White. Yeah, it's weird because Phil he had a big press conference um, that I went to. All these athletes have you know before they compete, and he had one, and it didn't come up there at all. And then, like two days after, I think it was was a dead spin or someone else came out and said, "Hey, why is no one talking about this?" And then kind of brought that up. And I got to be honest with you. I wasn't even aware of it <laughs> um, that this this has happened two years ago, and um, and so then it gained some momentum in the last couple of days that hey, this was in his path, and this you know this was whatever it was two years ago, and uh, was an issue then, uh, and so I think that's why it um, came back up at his press conference after he won the gold medal because uh, it wasn't no one asked it, and it wasn't even really on the in any of the news reports during that first press conference, and so. Maybe he wasn't expecting it to come up again. I don't know. Maybe he didn't know that a couple websites had, had floated that out again, but um, he clearly didn't handle it the best way. Chip, do you feel like the NHL, I mean, with the pros not being there, is missing out on a big opportunity to promote not just itself yeah. but the sport as well? No, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, this, I mean, you'll get a bigger stage than the, the Olympics, Myron. And, and I go back to 
when they were at Sochi, you talk about the U.S.-Russia game where T.J. Oshie's jumping over the board. He has like eight or whatever penalty shots and how great that game was. And, and you have all your stars playing for, you know, 10 days uh, in high-level competitive um, tournament with, with a lot of people watching it. And I understand what is the – if I'm the NHL, what, what am I getting out of this? Now you're getting visibility, but – you're also having the disruption to your your season, which that to me is not a bigger deal. But if I'm a if I'm an owner and Zach Parise goes over there and blows out his ACL, I'm how does that help me? <laughs> you know what, what do I get out of that? I'm not going to feel uh, like the visibility was worth it at that point. So I understand that the injury uh, component of it, but but if you're trying to sell your product to a wider audience and, and grow the game. You're really missing a big opportunity to have that um, have that presence here. So I, I I would rather they do it, um, but I also understand their concerns about about injuries and to a lesser extent the the disruption to the schedule. Yeah, and I think it's hard to compare you know USA basketball because I think the dominance for so long of USA basketball helped put the NBA even on a on a higher pedestal. You wouldn't get that obviously the US if you if you stack those rosters with NHL players, the US is not. Uh, ordinarily, the favorite. So you're not. So the, I understand if you're an owner based in the United States and it's a United States based league, you're not getting the same benefit. But to me, as a casual fan, Chip, and I'm not saying I represent everyone, I'm more interested in watching Olympic hockey with NHL players than most anything the NHL has to offer, other than the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. So well, if yeah. you can get casual fan to watch random game, uh, you know, against Finland. And I'm going to be all in, and, the, and it's a wider ice sheet, and I get to watch guys like Mikhail Grandlin skate around 100 miles an hour. That's a fun product to watch, and it's marketable. It is, and I would. The, the one question I would ask this, and then maybe you can answer it as a casual fan. If you watch that, and it's great hockey and intense and everything, would you be more inclined to watch the NHL when they go back in two weeks? With, would you turn on? Yes, would you turn on games? but I would I would long for the Olympic ice sheet, and I you know, I mean this is a probably another conversation. I think hockey would be much more compelling if the games were seven to four organically that you didn't have to tinker with goalie pads, but you just opened yeah. it up and and speed and skill could take over on a more regular basis. So I would what I would do is I'd take it to the extreme. Not only would I have Olympic players or NHL players in the Olympics, I would say every new arena from this point forward. Is an Olympic-sized ice sheet, and if you want to, if you want to go back on some of the ones that have already been built, if you can find a way to manipulate your arena and put a wider ice sheet, I know a lot of diehard hockey fans are, are driving out the road disagreeing with me. You don't know hockey, <laughs> but I think it's more fun. Like I think it's more fun when you allow skill to shine in space. Yeah, with yeah. the more space you have, and let those guys have more room to be creative and, and create on their own. I, I absolutely agree. I love the big ice sheet, and uh, I think it's fun to watch. You know, the highest skill guys. Uh, you know, be able to have some space to do it, and not have just feel claustrophobic uh, that you see a lot of times. So I agree. Um, yeah, it, I'm not going to lie; it was a little disappointing that you're not going to be able to see Crosby and all the you know all these great players here. But um, you know, I still think it'll be it, it'll be compelling because it's Olympics and it's it's you know these guys are laying it all out there, and it's it's you know very emotional for them. So it'll still be fun, but it's it's just not quite the same. Yeah, Chip, go get some sleep, man. 
Yeah, man. All right, man. I'm heading to bed. All right. All right. Chip Scoggins from the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. I like. I do like his recaps that he posts on social media about like his time there. And yeah. That's got to be cool though. If you're if you're, it's the second time that a lot of these guys chip. And I've you know, Dave Schwartz from Channel Eleven covering the Olympics. It's got to be kind of a once in a lifetime experience. Some of these countries that you're never going to go to otherwise. Mm-hmm. And even though you never sleep. Yeah. Well, Chip doesn't sleep at all. So <laughs> right. that guy earned this opportunity, that's for sure. Yeah. Myron Medcalf hanging out with us. Uh, Judd Zolgad on vacation. Tomorrow we're going to be live at the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Chris Long. Uh, Lou Nanny's going to join as well tomorrow so we can talk about some of this Olympic hockey stuff. Uh, Minnesota sports prop bets at the top of the hour. We'll check in Fort Myers on twins, pitchers and catchers, and other storylines with Derek Wetmore. Later on, more Viking speculation, offseason stuff. With Matthew Collar, it's Mackie and Judd. You think you like freestyle skiing? Johnny Mosley doesn't just like freestyle skiing. He f***ing loves it. She comes into the bottom jump here. She's going to throw the D-spin, Trace. The only female in the competition to do this trick. Oh, that's so rad. Skiing, yeah! Bodie Miller. Bogo. Big air. Binding. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Are you guys ready to have some fun? On 1500 ESPN. The 2018 Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show returns to the Minneapolis Convention Center starting tomorrow, running through Sunday. And today is your last day to buy tickets in advance. With those advance tickets, you receive over $470 in value. Each paid advance ticket gets 19 free greens fee passes and your choice of a golf shirt. The offer ends at midnight tonight, so get it done. Purchase your tickets. Head to minnesotagolfshow.com. Uh, speaking of that hockey game last night, and Myron Medcalf is in here for Judd Zolgad. You know, Judd is on vacation, but luckily when it comes to hockey rants and other things that would happen if Judd were in studio, we can always turn to the Juddbot 3000, Myron. <laughs> the Juddbot 3000 was watching Olympic hockey last night. Hey, Here's what much. I saw from the USA-Canada game. What I saw is this. I saw a team of Americans that wanted to win but wasn't willing to do what was needed to win. One goal on 43 shots is not just bad puck luck. This is a grit problem. Yeah, it's, it, it, you got to get to the front of the net. <laughs> they didn't show enough grit. Ah, exactly. This U.S. women's team is basically the wild in ponytails. You outshoot Canada 45-23, to 23, yet still lose because you can only get one goal. Find a finisher. Find a sniper. Or at least pick up a greasy goal or two. Someone has to get in front of the net and do the dirty work. It's hard to disagree. You've got a direct line to the nice. Jetbot 3000. Yeah. Wow, you called that one. I mean, it, it re- re- reminds me of the first couple games between the Wild and St. Louis. <laughs> put 100 shots on goal. Maybe someone get in there and get a putback yeah. goal, right? Jake <laughs> Allen can't stop everything if he puts a, put a body on him. Get a greasy goal. Shouldn't be that hard. Um, you know... This is, you. I mean, Myron and I are very casual hockey fans. Casual at best sometimes. Yeah. I'll jump in for the playoffs. I'm in on the wild. Um, I'm down in the wild these days. I'll watch the Stanley Cup finals. But I like in, once you watch the best players in the world, which you're not this year in the Olympics, but in other years, on the Olympic-sized ice sheet, this is just, I know that hockey diehards would disagree and they want, they like the grit and they like the more condensed uh, physical space. I compare it to the NFL. What if you were to take an NFL field and, you know, let's let's let it still be 100 yards from goal line to goal line, but let's take it from 53 yards wide to 40 yards wide no. or 38 yards wide. 
What would happen? Guys like Julio Jones wouldn't be able to use space as much. Antonio Brown, the skill position players that we love watching. Uh, you know, Michael Vick back in the day, it'd be easier to stop him because there's not as much space. That's what makes sports fun when the top talented players can get out in space to me and do their thing. In the NHL, one of my biggest gripes is the fact that the best players and the best scorers are only cashing in on like 12 or 15% of their shot attempts. Jack that baby up to 30% by widening the ice sheet. Maybe maybe you reduce goalie pad sizes and and reward skill and reward process more often. That's been my biggest gripe for years about the NHL. I mean, look at the Golden State Warriors and what they've done to the NBA and just opening up the game. I'm, I think people want to see scoring in any sport. They, they want to see that kind of energy. And I think the NHL uh, overall, because I'm like you, I'm a playoff hockey guy. I like the wild. But I think people get caught up in seeing some of those two-to-one games where you're like, come on, you want to see more. You want to see 7-5, something like that. And if they see one of those games and that's the only game they watch that season, all of a sudden it turns them off. That's why I felt like the Olympics is a great opportunity if you had the pros there to say, hey, look, this is the game we can play. Come watch us when we get back to the States. Because I think the NHL, more than any other league, is trying to appeal to the casual fan before the playoffs. I think it has a really difficult time with that. And I agree with you. Changing the rules uh, to make it a flashier game, higher scoring games, would appeal to someone like me. But I know it would also, you know, upset some of the diehards. So I respect that perspective as well. Yeah, and like Mikhail Granlin's a great example, and he's had and he's been better the last couple of years with the Wild. But watch him four years ago as a really young NHL player in uh, in the Olympics in 2014, and watch him fly around, and he was one of the most noticeable players in the entire Olympics. Because he had more room to operate, he's not as much of a physical player. He's more going to use speed and uh, and agility. Why would you want to like? Why would you want to temper that yeah. if you're the NHL? Why I would look at that and say, how can we highlight that more? And you know, the other sports have done that. You know, the the, the NFL has said, okay, those quarterbacks, those yeah. guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and and Brett Favre at the time. We want more of that. Let's let's maybe tweak some rules so that we can have more of that. That's more fun. It's more fun to watch when these guys are able to throw for 300 yards and score 31 points. Yeah. They're not sitting in a room saying, "Ah, let's let's limit those quarterbacks." Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what people want to watch. So that's my uh, that's my two cents recommendation for <laughs> for Gary Bedman. I mean, you're basically talking about Steph Curry, right? Like about Steph Curry in the Let's 80s. move that line back a little further. Right, we don't right. need to see. Yeah, we don't need any of these three point things. That's uh, that's that's too much for us. Yeah. But imagine him in the eighties with the eighties rules. He would have never survived. Bill Lambeer would have clotheslined him and ended his career after three games. Right. Yeah. But now a guy like that who's six foot nothing and is just skilled is one of the best players in the NBA. Yeah. In all due respect to Bill Lambeer, who was actually a a, a fun and a you know, great player to watch. People don't tune in to today's NBA to watch Bill Lambeer. No, no, they want to watch guys jacking three pointers, right? Yeah. They want to watch. They want to watch the Rockets yeah. having twenty three made three pointers in an NBA basketball game. My old Milwaukee Bucks growing up in Milwaukee in the eighties, it was just like a team full of Bill Lambeer like guys <laughs> who weren't even as good as Bill carrying Lambeer. six packs on was, the court. It was bad. It po- was it was post really up bad. one hand in the air calling for the ball, the other hand with his cupping a cigarette. <laughs> it was very yeah. And you would see him like walking around town randomly like during the season, like, hey, shouldn't you be at a game getting ready? They didn't care. No, no. They didn't care. They were very Bill Lambeer like shorts and but the... they couldn't fight. You know, they couldn't fight. So they lose on the field on the court. And they lose the fight. It was bad. Yeah. Myron Medcalf hanging out with us in for Judd. Mackie and Judd in the TCL broadcast studios. Minnesota sports prop bets when we come back.